if you're visiting with us today, we welcome you. We're so delighted that you chose to. And I just believe this. I believe the Holy Spirit draws people into the house for you to experience fellowship, not just with each other, not just to get connected in with the church, which will enrich and bless your life, but also to fellowship with Him. That is the most important thing that we can do, is to be in close, close proximity to what God is doing, because in this season that we're in, and I see revival breaking out all over the United States, mainly on college campuses, and y'all, I just want you to know I rejoice every day that I hear a new college campus catches on fire, because God can do more in, in one week of revival than we can try to do in a thousand years, church. He, he's doing it, He's moving, and I want to step into the water and the flow of what He is doing. And Leah... Come on up here. You're not going to get away. I, you, I tell you what, take a seat in the love seat right there. The love seat. I came in this morning and pulled a few things out and somebody said, oh boy, pastor's got another illustrated sermon for us this morning. So just buckle up, just reach up and buckle up because today we're going to talk about marriage and I decided I might need some marriage counseling after Leah just informed everybody she beat me at bowling a few weeks ago. So we may need to go into counseling directly after this, but how many know that marriage is uh, precious to God? And I understand as I teach this today, we've been in a series on families and I always knew somewhere in there the Holy Spirit would kind of give me the green light to just talk about marriage and one of the first things that I began to pray about a couple weeks ago or early in the week, I said, Lord, what in marriage am I actually good at? Was my question to the Holy Spirit was, where am I? And he began to, he began to show me things that I need to work on. How many know marriage is like always work? How many know marriage is tough? Yeah. I learned that just a few months after Leah and I got married. I said, boy, this is going to be difficult Because before we got married, Leah flew all over the world. She flew to Egypt several times, a couple times a year. She flew to Mexico City. She flew to a lot of different destinations as a missionary. And then we got married and went on the mission field together. And so she built up a lot of miles. By building up a lot of miles, uh, when you go up to check in, if you're a certain level of like silver elite or diamond elite or whatever. So we get up to a little counter. This is just a few months after we were married. And the, the lady checking us in said, oh, and she called her by her maiden name because she hadn't changed it in their system yet. Miss McMasters, we have a first-class seat if you would like to bump up. And my immediate thought was, well, no, she's going to stay in the back with me. And we looked at each other, and she looked back at the lady, and she said, oh, I'll take that seat. And y'all, the, the Holy Spirit, the Lord has a sense of humor. Does everybody know that he does? Okay, I hope you know that. I hope you know that. Just look around you this morning. God's got a sense of humor. And the, the sense of humor thing was I got seated in the bulkhead seat. So I'm sitting here on the very end on a row and I can see her. She's on the other side, about four rows up. And they come around, and of course they ask, Mr. Hanks, would you like a chicken you know, salad sandwich or a ham sandwich? And I said, well, what are they having up there? And she said, well, that's not available to you. I said, I know. I just want to know how my wife's doing me wrong right here in this plane. And you all, she would, she would cut into that. I think you got steak that day, and she cut into the steak and would just turn around. And... So I thought, our marriage is in big trouble, y'all. It's in big trouble. But marriage is difficult, and here's what the Lord spoke to me as I studied this week. And this ties in with what I feel like the Spirit of God is moving into His church, and He's reclaiming His church. And listen, He is resetting us. If you're willing and you lay yourself out before God, He's going to create a new wineskin. But that takes you offering to God the old one and say, God, I don't want the old. I want the new wine that you're pouring out because it is available, but we can't stay at a distance. We have to come close and allow him to change our hearts. So success in marriage really boils down to being close to Jesus, allowing him to keep your heart tender. Allowing, and I understand we have a whole cross-section of people who may have been divorced before. I just want you to know that God has a plan for you. Amen. You may still be single and not want to be single. God has a plan for you. You may be want to be single. God has a plan for you. Yes, we're going to talk about that today. 
And I'm going to do my best just to share the Word of God with you, which today is found in Ephesians 5, if you'll turn there. And we're also going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, but we're going to start in Ephesians 5. And as you're turning there, let me, let me just lay a little foundation and do a little teaching, and then Lee and I are going to end uh, the session today with just allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and to just bless the people and some things that we've learned in marriage. If you're a young couple in here today, or whether you've been married five years, five months, or 50 years, these principles that we're going to talk about today apply to everything. And I want to say this, it doesn't just apply to marriages, but it also, Ephesians 5, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, but it applies to every single relationship that you find yourself in. Everybody say reset. Reset. First place I want to go today is just simply to say this, marriage is God's plan. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that you necessarily say, well, I'm single and there is a gift, a spiritual gift called celibacy. God did not give me that gift. I learned, you know, he did not gift me with that. But there is a spiritual gift in the Bible that people that just wholly dedicate their lives to the Lord. But if you're, if you're single, if you're married, been married for a while, whatever it is, I want to start today by saying God's plan is marriage. When God took the rib out of Eve and then he brought them back together and it says the two shall become one flesh, we see in that that there was a covenant made that is incredibly important to God. In church, we live in a day and time where marriage is under attack. Marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's plan. The covenant of marriage is sacred to God. And I want to just say this for the, for the, for the, for the culture we live in, to say it publicly and to say it with my deepest understanding of my heart, that marriage is between a man and a woman for procreation. Amen. 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 It's interesting that we have a revival breaking out in the, in the Gen Z generation, the young generation. And what Lee and I have found in ministering to them is they've never been offered a different biblical world viewpoint. We kind of think that they're just naturally going to catch it. But listen to me this morning. I want you to know where your pastor is right now. Your pastor is at a place where where culture intersects God's truth, we're going to stand on God's truth. You might say, are you going to deal with the 76 different genders that are out there? No, I'm not. Because I'm a very simple man. And I think that the Bible keeps it very simple. That God created them man and woman. And then he brings them together at a certain time. So marriage is very sacred to God. I believe that if the church can understand that covenant is sacred to God, that marriage is sacred to God, and if we treat marriage in the way that we should, then God's blessing. See, the family unit, church, is the conduit of God's blessing. Just like I talked a little bit about wineskins this morning, how God is forming maybe something new in your life and in your heart so that he can pour out something new into your life and into your heart. I believe that, that in the same way, we're looking at a culture that the family unit is under attack. The biblical foundations have been right now. Hear your pastor. I want you to know that if something I've already said offends you, then sometimes the truth will chafe you before it changes you. Sometimes the truth as it comes in and moves in on your life because we need to get back to understanding and knowing what God says about something, not what culture says about something. Now, that, be, that may eventually become a very costly thing to do in our culture and our society. If you look throughout other countries, you cannot, even I saw a young man was arrested like a week ago, a couple weeks ago, for simply stating his biblical view that there's, there's only men and women, right? So, God loves marriage. God loves people. God instituted marriage all the way back in Genesis. And I want to say this. God said it was very good. Everything that he created, everything that he instituted. I love doing wedding ceremonies because there's a lot of covenant uh, pictures that are, that are present. That a lot of times we don't even think of. Like when you cut a covenant, you cut the covenant and the people in the, entering into the covenant walk down the aisle. What do we do? We, we gather in a room like this and we divide in the middle and the bride walks up the middle. Amen. 
and then she comes to an altar. And when they come to an altar, I make sure that in counseling young couples or performing ceremonies over all the years that I've done this, I make sure that they understand something very important. You are making a covenant with the wife of your youth. And in the day and age we live in, we sometimes, what, what we need to do as a church is understand that there's truth. Everybody say truth. And there's fact. Everybody say fact. So there's truth and there's fact. And what we desire to do as a church is to make sure we know the truth. Because when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Amen. Amen? The truth is, here's the truth. Everybody ready for some truth? You shouldn't have sexual relations with somebody before you're married. Now what's the fact of our culture? People have sexual relations before their marriage, right? The truth is, you shouldn't commit adultery. The fact is that people commit adultery. And by way of truth today, if we're going to be speaking the truth in love, because this is done in love, because when, it's the, when, when the truth meets love, then there's change in people's lives. Truth without love is dangerous, amen? amen. Because it's mean-spirited and it's harsh, and that's not the way of Jesus, Right? But if you operate in love and you operate in truth, then we can see people set free because the truth sets you free. Because when you embrace truth and you bring the facts that I just mentioned under the umbrella of truth, it will begin to set people free. God's desire for marriage is that we have a love relationship with the person He put us in covenant with. And again, I don't know if you've been married just a few years or if you've been married for quite a few, maybe 40 or 50. I want you to know today, God desires for our marriages to flourish. God desires for the oil of His Spirit to be poured out in our marriages. The cornerstone of marriages is covenant. Everybody say covenant. Now, 250 times in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word there called hesed. Everybody say hesed. I'm probably not even saying it right, but that's the Hebrew word. That Hebrew word is used so many times, and what it's defining and what it's talking about many, many times is in relation to covenant. Because when we understand what love really means, because our culture has messed up the definition of love, we have. We've messed up the definition of love. So when you look at love God's way, and especially in the context of a loving marriage, then we understand that God is a covenant-keeping God. And that word there, kesed, in the Bible literally means this. It's a wrapping it up in itself all the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. Marriage is much more than a requirement or a duty. It is a conduit that we can love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then we love our spouse as we're loving on God. Marriage is not 50-50, church. It is 100% me sold out to God and 100% my wife sold out to God. One of the things that attracted me to Leah very early on was the fact that she loved God. That's a number one priority if you're single in here, that they love God and that they're pursuing Him and His will and what He desires to do. But I I began to learn early on in our marriage that, that... if I ever got to a place where my relationship with the Lord was maybe, was maybe cut off or just wasn't growing and it wasn't moving in the right direction, listen, that translated into my relationship with my wife. We did one of the hardest things I think you could ever do in a marriage. We got married and three weeks later we went full time on the mission field. It was very difficult. There's a lot of things we did early on in our life and marriage that I look at Leah now and I say, what were we thinking? What were we thinking? Went on a beautiful honeymoon to Hawaii and, you know, just that, that, that honeymoon. That's what it is. It's, it's not real life. Amen? It's just that honeymoon, on, especially Hawaii. We had enough miles built up from Leah's travels that I mentioned before. And uh, we had a free ticket to anywhere. And we were actually going to go down to, you know, the Bahamas or something. And uh, I looked at her and I said, we can fly anywhere? She said, yeah, anywhere. I said, man, let's go to Hawaii. I think we went with like $300 in our pocket. We didn't have any money. We we were ready to camp out on a beach, y'all. Luckily, God provided a little condo for us to stay in. 
But um, we just really enjoyed that and came back. And we had about two, two and a half weeks between that and when we went full-time leading teams. And, and it's, it's hard to express how many hours we spent leading teams. And, and it, it literally was about a 15 to 16-hour-a-day endeavor because you're with them from 7 in the morning until they go to bed at 9 at night and you're helping. You're going to get things for them. People are getting sick, so we get knock on the door 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And what it did for us anyway, just by way of, of understanding how God put us together, what it did for us is it caused us to go through a very hot trial and fire early on. We were 30 years old when we got married. I was a bachelor, had my own three-bedroom house, had my life, had everything going good. I was pastoring young adults at my own church. God began to stir in me that for the second time in a few years, lay all that aside, I've got a different plan for you. So we literally ended up in a hotel room that was probably about 20 by 25, and living inside of that, had obviously never lived with anybody before, Leah hadn't either, so just the little things that get on each other's nerves, we were getting on each other's nerves. Matter of fact, can, can I say that you used to kick me out of the hotel room? I can, I can say that. The bellboys in the front desk at the, at the, at the hotel, they had a camera that, that was right there by the elevators in our room so we could easily get downstairs and upstairs quickly. It was right off the elevator. And we'd get in a little tiff. And how many know the little tiffs turned into big tiffs? And, and who, who's responsible for that? The enemy. We're leading a ministry. We have 60, 70, 40, 35 people under our care. And, uh, you know, the enemy moves in and he turns a little thing into a big thing. I didn't know you left the cap off the toothpaste. I don't do it. You squeeze it in the middle. I roll it up from the bottom. And next thing you know, she's ready to throw me out of the 12th floor of this hotel. So we used to just kind of say, okay, let's go cool off. And here's the thing. When I would go get alone with the Holy Spirit, are you hearing me, church? When I would present things to him and I would say, Lord... Because oftentimes we go to the Lord in prayer and we look at our spouse and we say, Lord, change her or Lord, change him. When the Lord's saying, I'm going to change something in you. And that's what he began to do in my life, in my heart. And when the Bible says, and look in Ephesians 5, we're going to read that scripture and I'm going to move on with my message. Ephesians 5. And just to give you a little context of Ephesians, as we read this, We read it in the context, and it's usually presented in the context of of wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We read that in that context, and many times we forget the broader context of why Paul was addressing this issue. So as we read this, I want to just give you a little general context. This was written to the Ephesian church. And the Ephesian church was a, was a culture that was steeped in Roman, Greek mythology and, and, and falsehoods and error. And in Ephesus, they had a very large temple to, the, to somebody called Artemis. Has anybody ever heard of the, the Amazonians, right? It's a, it's a myth, right? Have y'all ever seen Wonder Woman? Okay. They were worshiping the people that they... So, what do they do in the myth and the culture of Ephesus is they, they took women and they put them in very high-ranking positions and they put them in this place. They put them, And what developed in their culture is the women were looking down on the men as just, well, they're just here to help me change out the light bulbs, right? And they're just here to do this over here. So when we read this, it's easy to take that and say, well, my job as a wife is just to submit to him. No, you're supposed to love your husband. Amen. And, and, and wives, submit to your husbands. Men, love your church. Now, is he saying in there that, that we're not supposed to love each other and have a love relationship? That's not what it's saying at all. He's correcting an issue. But today I want to tell you about the reset that God has for us and the reset that maybe God has for marriages revolves around this scripture right here. Because when we understand what biblical love is and what it means, it will help you flourish in your marriage relationship. It will help you. Everybody say love. So let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 25 today. Just going to look at this one scripture. And we're going to talk about what is love. Before we get into the the back and forth, Leah's just sitting on go back here. I know she's ready. And before we get into the back and forth today, I want to define this because it's important to understand. 
Like Tina Turner said, what's love got to do, got to do with it? (laughs) Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then a qualifier. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we're going to talk about love. Everybody say love. Because in our culture, we have defined love in many different ways. Now, I think the Greeks had it figured out because there's many of you that know this in even a deeper way than I've studied it. But when you study the Bible, when a word gets translated love, we just have a general term for love in our English language. The Greeks were a little bit more nuanced and broke it down into four different words based upon the type of relationship that they had. And I, I think they were on to something because oftentimes we'll go to somebody and just say something like, right? We'll say, man, I really love your lasagna that you cook. Boy, I, I love those earrings that you're wearing. Or I, I, for me, I love that football game I watched the other day, right? So it's like, hey, honey, I love you more than lasagna. And I love you more than earrings. And I love you more than the football game. And, and we don't get the real gist of what God was talking about in the Bible with the word that he used when he told us to love our wives. And then that reciprocates right back to a love relationship between each other. And the four words for love, the first one is eros. Where the word, this is where the English word erotic comes from. And this is a lustful type of love, Right. Eros is a very base type of love. A lot of people say they're in love, but young people, if you're still in here, it may be lust that you're in. Amen? The word eros literally means just a a love that is actually kind of a lust. And I'll say this, men are very susceptible to this type because we're very visual by nature, right? We're very visual. And women, you watch the Hallmark Channel. (laughs) Right? Am I right? Phileo is the second type of love. And this is where we get the word Philadelphia. It simply means brotherly love. So it's relationships that you have with brothers and sisters. And if you have kids, you look at them and you say, your relationship isn't Phileo. (laughs) Right? How many grew up with a brother and sister you didn't get along with? Am I in the right place? Okay. The Phileo type of love. Do you understand that? That even what you view in your family, even between your kids, or maybe it's another relationship that you have with maybe somebody inside the church or even somebody outside the church. Do you understand that that the, the, the opposite of love is not hatred, it's apathy? You hear me? The opposite of love is not is not hatred, it's apathy. Actually, when you see somebody that really has a strong hatred for somebody else, it means that they first had a love for them first. Are you hearing? That's the way that this works. So there's a phileo, brotherly love type of a love. And then the next one is called storge. That is the type of love that a parent feels for a child or a grandparent feels for a grandchild. And then the fourth type of love that is used here in Ephesians. And then we're getting ready to read 1 Corinthians 13. Leah's going to read that this morning before we move on into the rest of our service. But there is an agape type of love. Agape is the highest form of love. It's, it's not a term the Bible invented, but it's the highest form of love. And she's getting ready to read 1 Corinthians 13 because the very Paul wanted to define what this agape love is. So we read this at weddings, we read it at different functions when we talk about love, and I think it loses its power and its, its ability to work our way into our marriages and our relationships, but especially our marriages, because oftentimes we operate in one of the other forms of love. We just say, well, I just, I just really truly think you're beautiful and, and I, I kind of have chemistry with you, and that could be an arrows type of love. Or we move to a place, and can, can I encourage uh, uh, married people? in here don't ever just get to and and let your love go to a place of just brotherly love right the reason it shouldn't go there is because some of us just become roommates come on god has renewal for our marriages your pastor prays every people who come on monday night to prayer and i invite you to come tomorrow night at 6 30 they know this almost every single monday night This church is here in the sanctuary interceding and praying over the marriages. Why? Because I know the enemy loves to destroy marriages. He loves to destroy marriages because they are covenants. 
And God honors covenant. God is a covenant honoring God. The word kesed that we talked about earlier is a word translated in the Old Testament that just means loving kindness. In other words, God's covenant love brings him to action to actually save us because we're separated from him. And when you look at the type of love that the Bible talks about here in, in 1 Corinthians 13, the, the King James, I think, maybe hit it a little bit better. And she's going to read it, read it in, the, in the NIV version. But... Anybody have the King James Version of the Bible? You got it with you? What is 1 Corinthians 13, uh, if you'll turn there? What, what does it say? Yep. No, no, go, go down to where it starts talking about love. Love is? What's the word that it uses there? Charity. Charity. It's translated charity because, listen to me, this is the agape. This is the word, the highest form of love. The form of love that is used in Ephesians 5, verse 25, where it says, Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And this love goes beyond, because here's what I want to point out. Our love is to be an action continually. The love that God is describing here, as Leah reads 1 Corinthians 13, is translated charity in the King James Version. Because we need to understand that if we are going to have good, healthy marriages, if we're going to love one another like Christ loved the church, then first we have to understand that we have to be in right relationship with God personally. And that right relationship with God forms in us a relationship with each other that is beyond trying to drum up love, but it's actually allowing the love of God to be poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the encounters that I've had with the, with the Lord over these last few weeks, and I, I invite you, if you came here and you're visiting, you say, what kind of church is this? We just want Jesus. Amen. We do. And I say that with all sincerity of heart. We have ministries and we have structure and we do things decently in order. And we do things with excellence as best we can. But one primary thing is I want to be seeking Jesus because when Jesus comes and pours himself out on me, it is a baptism of love. And it's not Eros, it's not Storge, it's not Philadelphia, it's agape love. And as I've had these encounters with the Lord, it helps my relationship with my wife. Because when I'm being a knucklehead, I know that's hard to believe that your pastor would be that way. But it actually happens more than what you think. Because many of us think, church, that the that, that contention is in marriage is bad. Can I tell you? It's not. You say, wait, well, what, wait, what? Contention, in, in other words, tension or contention is the fact that there are times where I need that woman right there. And she could tell some wonderful things about me here in a minute. Just get ready. It's coming. <laughs> I need that woman right there to tell me when I'm full mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> Russ, am I lying, brother? Come on. Men, we're built to dream. We're built to, and, and I tell you a lot of times, don't burst my bubble. But she's operating in a wisdom. Are you hearing me? And women, let me, let me warn you just a second. You guys are very good with words. Amen? You are. You're, you're, you're. Us men can't contend with you in the word department. God created us to contend with anybody that's trying to harm our family in the physical department. That should never translate into your, you hear me? Don't you ever lay hand. So what men do, and women, listen to me for a second, we shut down. And there's not the agape love flowing in a relationship because I'll even jump ahead here a little bit. This is my sermon illustration today. And Leah's going to read 1 Corinthians 13 here in just a minute. This is my sermon <laughs> illustration. Is when we get into, when, when we get married, things are going well for a while. And then there's, that, then there's that tendency to begin to, kids come along. The, the cares of life, the difficulties of life, all the distractions, all the things. When God wants you to focus on your relationship. I'll tell you this this morning too. You're not to put your kids above your, your marriage relationship. You put God first and then you put each other and the kids. And that doesn't mean you don't care for them. What it means is, and I'm getting to that stage here in the next few years. I pray and I hope I am in Jesus' name. I'm prophesying that my kids will fly the nest. Amen. 
They'll fly the nest. Holland's still in here right now. You know why she's in here? You all want to know why my daughter stayed in here instead of going to you? She told me the other day when I was preaching on marriage, she said, good, I'm staying in because anything that you don't live up to, I'm going to come and tell you that you said this in church and I'm going to hold you accountable. No kidding. But we begin to, we begin to sit in the me seat. Amen. And God doesn't want you in the me seat because the me seat is selfish. The me seed is not exhibiting agape love, and agape love sacrifices for the other person. The agape love that God wants to pour out in our marriages today, and I just, I just heard the Holy Spirit say as I prepared for this, there's going to be a reset in our marriages today. God's going to press the reset button, and He's going to pour out His love into our marriages. And it, it, maybe you've been tense with your marriage. Maybe, you've, may, maybe you're in a place today where you're sitting in the me seat. And what do we call these little couches? Anybody? The love seat. Leah, I'm coming over to the love seat. You ready? All right. All right. Read the scripture for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. And what I found early on in our marriage is that when I got selfish, everybody say selfish. Selfish. Marriage will take you one or two directions. Either you will lay aside your own selfishness, you will lay aside your own plans and desires, and you will allow God to make you one flesh. And again, the enemy is going to always be constantly coming against that. And very on in our, in our relationship, um, one of the things that popped up real quick, and maybe you, can, maybe you can relate to this as maybe a young married couple, but we got into trouble in our finances pretty quick because I wasn't handling finances correctly. Amen? And what I did, which would, young people, listen to me for a second. What I did was we had stored up and saved up some money, and I had moved to Louisiana, sold everything I had, so I thought I deserved a four-wheeler. But I didn't talk to her about it. I just came rolling in the driveway one day, pulling a four-wheeler. That went over super well, y'all. That, that went over super well. And I, Mainly because we didn't even have a house yet. Yeah, yeah. Who needs a house? I got a four-wheeler, Right. And there's things that you learn very early on in in marriage. And for us is I learned very early on that I wasn't communicating the agape love that God had given me for my wife because I was over here being selfish. I was over here pouting because I'd moved away from my family. I was over here, you know, pouting because of, you know, the situation that, that we were in and different things. And one thing that I learned in marriage is little foxes spoil the vine. The Bible says little foxes spoil the vine because the little foxes come in and they gnaw the vine. And Lee and I, in 20 years of ministry, have had multitudes of opportunities. Number one, to focus on our marriage and make sure it's good. We submit to a couple of pastors, one in particular, his name's Hal. He's going to be with us here in a few months. And uh, preaching for us here in, uh, in June. And uh, one thing he called me here, it's been about a year ago, year and a half. And he keeps me accountable in my marriage. And he just called and he said, well, how's everything going with you and Leah? And men, I want to tell you, our, we usually say something like, oh, bless God, it's a 9? 9.5? And he kind of chuckled and he said, well, what would Leah say? So I went and asked her, and surprisingly enough, it was, well, about a five. I was shocked. I'm like, really? A five? So, man, we we kind of have a a tendency to think think things are going really good. And the first thing that Lee and I want to teach you that really helped us as married couples is called the love languages. And there's five love languages, and this Gary Smalley wrote a book years ago. It was given to us by somebody we love. 
um, in our family that said, hey, read this. After they saw us starting to have problems, that first year of our marriage was really, really hard and difficult. We were both 30 years old. We were both very independent. And God doesn't want you to be me. He wants you in the love seat. The love seat with him in the middle of your relationship. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. So I read this book and I realized really quickly that I thought that I was speaking her love language because I was changing the light bulbs. I was taking out the trash. We did finally get a place. I sold my four-wheeler. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And I was changing the light bulbs and I was doing all these things. And I thought by acts of service that that was filling what my wife terms her love tank. Your spouse has a love tank. I'll say this. Some of their love tanks are bigger than others. It takes a lot more effort to fill certain people's love tanks. And for Leah and I, what we were doing is I was communicating in one way and it wasn't being received. So I was getting frustrated. I was getting upset in our marriage. Why why isn't she receiving this love? Why isn't she reciprocating? And to come to find out the way she was communicating with me was different too. Leah, do you want to speak to that? I'll just say the five love language are words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, quality time, or physical touch. And I was very independent when we got married. I was 30 years old, had been traveled, taught English in China, did all these things on my own by myself. So it was hard for me to come together as a unit and and submit to Jason and, and things like that. But I had to learn that his love language is quality time. My love language is not quality time. I'm very independent. I can go, I could leave this afternoon after church, drive to Orlando by myself, do everything I want to do by myself. I drive everywhere, do everything by myself. But I had to learn that to him, his, his love language is quality time. So I had to lay myself down and just say, hey, you want to go do this? Instead of me just going by myself, hey, you want to ride with me? Let's go to dinner. Let's go to the movies or whatever. Because it just is not my love language. I didn't know it was as important to him. So to me, the most important thing, I think everybody needs to read the book. And they have it for kids, too. And they have it where you can learn your kids' love language. Because our kids have love languages, too. And you don't understand what that person is thinking if you don't understand their love language. My love language is words of affirmation. Jason had to learn that long. It doesn't matter to me. Gifts is not, I love, you know, I love to receive gifts, but gifts do not make me feel loved. Quality time does not make me feel loved. Words of affirmation are my love language. And I just feel like that really helped our marriage in a strong way was learning the love languages. It really did. And understanding that, it's, I'm a quiet, reserved person. So for both of us, for both of us, we had to do what? We had to operate in agape love, not just say, well, Lord, I don't understand this woman that you gave me, so I'm just going to go do my own thing and ride my four-wheeler, at least for the few weeks that I had it. <laughs> Boy, there's, there's some pain still there. I think I need a little healing, healing man. Maybe he needs a four-wheeler. Yeah. And when I realized and we talked, and communication is the lifeblood of marriage. It is the lifeblood of marriage. And the enemy will move in and he'll begin to, because a lot of times the very thing that we loved about the person when we were dating is the very thing that drives us nuts about him when we get together. I love the fact that Leah was independent, right? When we were dating, oh, she's an independent, strong woman, travels on a mission field, loves God, heading towards, you know, a call of God. And that's what attracted me. And then we get married and then I'm mad because she's not around, right? We, we tend to love it when we're dating, and then it tends to become maybe an issue later on. So learning those things and learning communication and getting out of the me seat over into the we seat is incredibly important in our relationships. Amen. The second thing that Lee and I talked about just to share from our hearts is to spiritually support each other. God said this. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. Let me make him a suitable helpmate. Let, let, me, let me take out of the rib, which is interesting, isn't it? It's not the feet so a man can lord over a woman. It's not the head. It wasn't anywhere in the upper body. Listen, it was a rib because I believe the tendency in our God-given call as men is to protect our wives is to cherish and love because it's a very that's a very delicate place right here in our chest. There's a lot of vital organs and there's a lot being said by God to take it out of that place and for us to come back together but to spiritually support each other. If you want to have a good strong reset, holy spirit filled marriage, then spiritually supporting each other. And listen, 
Get on the same page spiritually. Are you hear, Pastor, today? Mm-hmm. Leah and I talked a lot about this, and if you want to add something in right there. Yeah, Leah. I was just going to say, last night we were talking about it, and it doesn't matter if you've been married a year, 25 years, 10 years. You have to work at staying on the same page spiritually. If And I just told somebody this this morning, talking about some things we've gone through with our teenagers. If I did not have Jason with me over the last year... Mm-hmm. I could not have made the things that we have faced, different things in our family and stuff that we have faced. But I know I have his, he has my back. I know we can face it together because we are on the same page spiritually. Husbands, wives, you have to work together to be on the same page spiritually. You have to have somebody that when you're sick, and this year I've been, have faced some health things. I've never had health problems before until this year. I've faced some health things, but I know I have a husband that I can call wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, and say, I need you to pray for me. So, man, you need to be able to do that for your wife. Why can you be able to do that for your husband? Not be in a place where you have to take 30 minutes to get spiritually ready to pray for them because you need somebody that is going to pray you through to the Holy Ghost. You need somebody that's going to pray for you when you're laying on a hospital bed by yourself in an ER and you call your husband, you got to pray for me right now. I need prayer right now. I need, I need to know that he is going to stand up spiritually and pull me up spiritually. And it doesn't matter if, if, if you're young or old or whatever, we have to work every day to stay on the same page spiritually and know where we're going together spiritually. Cause I don't want to be heading in one direction thinking our family's heading in one direction spiritually and Jason be heading in the other direction because we have to come together. We have teenagers. We're trying to lead down the right road spiritually. If we're not heading down the right road, it's just going to cause a collision in the end. Yeah. And, and let me say this to, to men today, and this isn't a men's sermon, but men, you are to be the spiritual leader of your homes. If we want to see our, our homes blessed and a conduit of God's covenant blessing, then men, you need to take, take the lead. You need to step up. In other words, I think we've relied on our wives to be the spiritual ones. And God's calling our men to come into a place of sold out, on fire. I am going to be the one who, who prays over my family. Not that our wives can't because it's, it's powerful, the power of agreement. And that's why we say when you get on the same page spiritually in your marriage, you're going to see the kids turn around. And and listen, I know I'm speaking to a cross-section of this church. You single moms that are in here, God bless you. We support you. We love you. We, we, you're my heroes, y'all. For no fault of your own, you're in a place where you're trying to be that spiritual help. Can, can I encourage even our single people in here today that may have uh, raising kids? Jesus will be your husband. Come on. Jesus will be your strength. He will be the one that you come into covenant with, and he's going to strengthen you and help you. But Leah mentioned all the things that we've walked through, and there's one thing that, there's one thing that Leah and I have never done, and I want to encourage you today as we end this. There's one thing that we have never done, and I can say never. There's not a lot of nevers in our relationship because I, I jokingly said last week at the end of service, we've been, we'll be married 20 years in April. And uh, we've had a lot of ups and downs. We've had a lot of ins and outs. We were both very strong-willed. We were both very strong personalities. We both had very strong views about ministry and all the other things. And, and, and God lovingly used that friction as what I call, and please don't be offended by this, I call it Holy Ghost sandpaper, y'all. Marriage is meant to, it's meant to sand those rough edges off, but we chafe against it and we get over into the me seat. Well, God, if you're not going to change her, then I'm just going to just go and do my thing and she can do her thing. And if our families would come to a place of covenant unity, praying for our kids and praying over our teenagers and being the leaders of our house, then we would see God move in a very powerful way, a very profound way. And I want to say this, not, not as way of condemnation against anybody in here. But even just being very transparent with you, I've looked at times in my life where I'm like, you know, I'm not at a place that I should be. Lord, let me repent. Let me get back to that place. Because one thing that Leah and I have never, ever said, the D word has never come out of my mouth and it's never come out of her mouth. And that D word is divorce. Divorce should never be in the vocabulary of a believer in God. And the reason it shouldn't is because I want to encourage you today. There's nothing that God can't fix. And guys, one thing that Leah and I talk about pretty often and something she told me several years ago is I said, Leah, what what makes it? And I was asking not to preach a sermon. I was asking because I really wanted her opinion and her input on what makes a good family. What, What can I do to make our family better? And 
one of the things that came up in our conversation was that she loves the fact that our family has vision. Everybody say vision. vision. Young families that are in here, and you guys got young kids. I know we have several families out today at different places. And I'm going to encourage them to go back and listen to this because if our families as a unit has a vision and we, we say all the time, this is what God's called us to do and this is the direction we're heading, it keeps your family surrounded and, and intertwined with God and Jesus. And it causes a very strong bond to form in your family because it's not just about getting the better house or the nicer car or getting stuff. It's about the kingdom of God. And when you are a couple that put priority on the kingdom of God, my kids have been raised in a household in such a way that we've had to look at them in times. I'm going to get choked up saying this because I feel the Holy Spirit. We've had to look at them in times and say to them, you you have to uproot and leave your friends and your family. And you you have to uproot and, and move far away. And to look at them at a very critical age that they both were, we had to look at them and say, there's one commitment that your mom and dad have made, and that's to follow the voice of Jesus. That no matter how hard it is, because and this, this may throw your theology off a little bit, God called Lee and I. He didn't necessarily call our kids. They've had to face a lot of things that are just by virtue uh, they were born to two people that are called into the kingdom for such a time as this. So when you have vision in your family, it'll keep a lot of the other stuff out of the way because you're focused. And when the enemy comes in, men, let me encourage you, when you have a tiff with your wife or there's something going on, then, then the Holy Spirit doesn't let me get away with that. Amen? Amen. The, I've shared this before. The biggest battle and fight that Leah and I ever had. And, and listen, the enemy is strategic in your marriage. He is going to bring in lies. He's going to bring in friction. He's going to bring in these things. And the biggest fight we had was the, the, the literally a one week before we came here. One week before we came here, I was uh, going to preach, help preach the Easter message. We had three, my, my senior pastor, myself, and the youth pastor all had 20 minutes of the service to preach on one of the crosses. And I prepared for that. I was ready for that. And one or two days before, I don't remember what it was about. Isn't that funny about arguments? You don't even remember what they were. But it was really bad. And here's what I went and told my pastor. It was literally Easter morning. We had two services that were going to be full. So it meant we had 1,600, 1,700 people coming to campus that day for Easter Sunday. Here my pastor was, was you know relying on me to preach part of the service. And I woke up Easter morning and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I can't stand in a pulpit and preach your holy word with this going on in my relationship. And I really half expected him to lean back and just say, if, if there's something not right in your, in your marriage, then you shouldn't stand at the pulpit. And he leaned back and said something very surprising. He said, I know that I know that I know that you're heading down the right path because that's the enemy. And when, as a family, when you're heading down the right path, the enemy is going to come and try to split you apart. And so I repented. We got Leah on the phone. It was my fault. It really was. It was. A lot of things that I've encountered in my marriage, the Holy Spirit has come back full circle because I can't change her. She can't change me. But God can change us with His agape love. God can work in our lives in such a profound way that I say, Lord, I see this in me. We've had an argument. We've had a fight. And uh, be able to, again, what are we talking about? Spiritually support one another. One of the, Some of the best advice was given to me by my aunt and uncle who pastor in Ohio. And they were down south visiting. Their son was pastoring in Alabama. So they made their way down to New Orleans. So we took them out and were enjoying some oysters and some boiled shrimp and crawfish and Man, it's getting lunchtime, isn't it? <laughs> and they looked at us. They said, it was about a year or two after we got married. So how, how, and they did a lot of marriage counseling at the church up in Ohio. And uh, they said, well, how's your marriage going? My, my aunt said something so profound that stuck with Lee and I. Is She said, what did they say? Don't stay on the merry-go-round. Don't stay on the merry-go-round. Because we're in a, on a merry-go-round of, of me and self. And I didn't know you were this way. I didn't know you were this way. I didn't know that you, you know, had a temper or 
I didn't know that you didn't do this or I didn't, wasn't sure about the cooking thing before we got married. Now I know, now I know, now I know, now I know. We hide Leah's uh, Christmas presents in the oven if you want to know what I'm talking about, just, just, just so you know. I pick up a good meal there. Yes, you can. Boy, she can order a meal. Man, she can order a meal with the best of them. We counsel couples for the last 20 years. For the last three years I was at the church I was at because of the growth. My pastor had to focus mainly on prayer and, and the word and then other vision things. We were building, we were growing, all the things that were going on. So for the last two or three years, I think about three, I took over all the counseling. And if it was a major thing, it, what my pastor used to call showstoppers, he said, Jason, if you run into a showstopper, then make an appointment over here with me across the hallway in his office. But probably about 90% of the time, God was preparing me to come here and to be able to counsel you guys. But one of the things that, that I noticed in couples is when I, we be, and Leah would come with me occasionally and we would counsel together. Uh, with couples and what would end up being said was well really these things started six years ago and we're like and you're just now couples this is on average couples when they begin to have problems and they begin to have concerns will let the little foxes begin to gnaw the vine of the relationship and there's something gnawing at the one or the other or both of them in the relationship and they will go upwards of five to six years of just what they call knuckling down and just bearing it. And when they make it to my office, it's usually too late. Yeah. It's too late because when you don't nip the little foxes in the bud, concerns, let me tell you what is corrosive to a marriage. And this is what I'm going to end with. What is corrosive to a marriage is contempt. Concerns will turn into contempt. So if you find yourself in your married relationship of getting to a place of just I, just the contempt of that other person, where it's no longer things that you're trying to lovingly pray about and talk about in a loving way and correct and say, hey, th- this that we had happen the other day, it bothers me, let's communicate this. You hold it inside. And then it becomes where you almost literally can't stand that other person. And can I tell you, the enemy has already taken ground in your relationship. You've lost spiritual ground. You're not on the same spiritual page. You have allowed the enemy to come in and put you on that merry-go-round for years. Don't let it get to that point. Don't let the me seat stay there, but move over into the we seat, the love seat. To where you have Jesus at the very center of your relationship and everything that you do and everything that you say. And have the vision of God and get on the same page spiritually. And for some of you, you may look at your spouse, whether it be your husband or your wife, may look at your wife and say, man, she's right at the foot of the cross. She's seeking God with all her heart. She's on fire for him. Then you as the husband, you don't need to go to her for anything. You need to go to him. And you say, bring me up to the same. For, for, for wives, you may have drifted away and you may be cold in your relationship with God. I'm tying all this together into what God is doing in our church because we are in renewal. We are in a place where the Holy Spirit is pouring out and you position yourself and say, God, don't just pour out on my kids. Don't just pour out on my job. Don't just pour out in my home. Pour out in my marriage. And there's a reset button that God is beginning to hit. And buddy, if you'd come and jump on that piano this morning. Because trust me, if your kids can see you join together as a unit and pray over the family and pray over them and pray over things that they're facing, then they understand that Jesus is the first in our family. Yeah, if you can, if they, if your kids see you speaking in tongues in their bedroom when they're not in there and they know that you're joined together, then they know there's, there's a force they can't fight against in the home. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll add this as far as our kids go. It's the, we're, and I mentioned this in one of our sermons a few weeks ago, we're teaching our kids what their source is. We try to change behavior, not realizing it's a heart issue, because everything flows out of the heart. So we're, we're less about putting on the X's and O's of do's and don'ts, which we do that. This is what God's Word says, and this is what you're doing, so you're against God's Word. But it's more about 
showing them what our source is and having, and I joke around, we have a good marriage. We do. We love each other deeply. And I'll say this, it gets better and better and better as the years go on. That's the way God created it. It's to grow in our relationship with him, to share things through life together. So if I could have you stand this morning, here's, here's where we're going to go, is just to simply and very humbly ask the Holy Spirit to renew and reset our marriages. Leah, come and join me up here, and let's pray for the congregation together. And let's just commit today, number one, of getting out of the me seat. <laughs> if you've become selfish If you've become about what you can get out of your marriage instead of what you can give into it, you're on the wrong course. Because God told us to love each other with a sacrificial love. The King James actually starts off by saying, love suffers. Some of you need to hear that because love isn't always roses and cupcakes and and ease. It is actually fighting through some difficult things at times, fighting through seasons where one of you is is physically having a hard time. But you know what God does in that? God brings you together closer. I want to say this. I want to say this. I want to say this. You as a husband and you as a wife have one role and goal in your marriage. And that's to be Jesus for the other person when they need it. That's a word. You're supposed to be so close to him that when she she was walking through a time of, of physical pain and hospitals and all the things, I just said, Lord, help me represent you to my wife. I want her to know you love her. I want, I want her to know you are interceding for her. I want her to know that you'll never leave her or forsake you. So God, do that in me so that I can represent that to her. And church, we forget that in our marriages. We are to represent Jesus to each other and show what sac- self-sacrificing love is. So let's all raise our hands, whether you're single, whether you're, no matter where you are in this place, married, can we just pray? Because if you're single and you're seeking God for a spouse, I want to just speak a word over you to take a deep breath and relax. God is going to bring the person he has at the right time in the right season. Because oftentimes we, we find somebody and we even say this, we say, man, that's God's putting us together. Can I tell you what else goes into that equation? The timing of God. I've seen people find the right person but mess up the timing. God has His timing. Some of you need to just say, God, we're putting this into your hands and you will release us through wise counsel and and your word when it's time for us to be together in covenant. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus today. I pray over every married relationship, God. I pray that the oil of the Holy Spirit, the the new wine that you're pouring out in this season, God, would be poured out into our marriages. Holy Spirit, I believe you spoke the word reset, God, to my heart before I ever got up here today. And Lord, I pray for a mighty reset, a mighty refreshing, a mighty rejuvenation of the life-giving love of Christ. Lord, You said in your word that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit that is in each believer today. That God, would you strengthen that? Would you reset our relationships and our marriages, God? That we would focus and pursue you first and foremost. And that God, that pursuit would find its way as the source of our joy And let the joy of the Lord be the strength in our marriages. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command the enemy to take his hands off. You have no place in God's covenant people. You have no place in our homes. You have no place in our children. You have no place in our relationships, God. We pray against his lies. We pray against his schemes. We pray against his his desire and ability to put somebody else that we would look with eyes, God, that aren't of you and be drawn away into temptation. Lord, lead us not into temptation, God. 
But deliver us and lead us into your kingdom purposes of vision, of blessing, of God. You said you would bless those who love and follow you to the thousandth generation, God. So we pray for our marriages. We pray for our kids and our children's children. And God, today we repent for any place where we've allowed the enemy to come in and to kill, steal, and destroy. For not being a guardian upon the wall of our families. Help us to be a loving example of your love for the church, for your love for us as the bride of Christ. Let it flow down into our families and let our children look and see you in us. May our spouse look and see you in us. And let that love blossom, flourish, and grow. God, as we commit ourselves once again to stand upon the covenant, holy covenant of marriage today, Father. We love and praise you for it's in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask one more question. You came here today and you don't even know what you're looking for. I want to tell you today that if you feel like you're wandering in a desert and a wasteland, there's one, one thing you need to look at and it's your heart. Because your heart has a hole in it that only God can fill. There's a spot there that was made and created for only God, and we look for it in all these other places. So I just want to make sure before we dismiss that everybody has come to a place where they've surrendered their life to Christ and have begun the the walk of life that He offers to us. If If that's you, you just say, I just need to commit to God. Would you just shoot up your hand and we'll pray together? Everybody here may know Him and be saved this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Lift your hands with me this morning. I want to bless you as a congregation. Father, I pray the richest blessings upon Christian Center Church. Father, I pray today that, God, they would be blessed going in and blessed going out, that they would be blessed in their homes and blessed at work. God, I pray you would turn your face towards them, that you would bless them and give them peace and rest, God. Let your smile shine upon them and may your presence continually go with us, before us and behind us until you bring us back together at the appointed time. I bless Christian Center in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord. Be blessed today. God love you. Nobody's told you they love you today. Your pastor loves you. Prayer meeting tomorrow night if you want to come. 630. It's going to be good.